Alrighty, so this week uh, we're getting a bit more serious. We've got our first official interview with the mm-hmm. doctor, um, Dr. Stephen Milstein or Milstein. He's a psychologist at uh, Whistler and Zach. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about it? Went well, I thought. I thought it went really well. You clearly are a professional <laughs> and you did a really uh, good job of interviewing him. Uh, the Yeah, we just, we, we went to, we were lucky that he took his, like took a, he saw us on his day off. Yeah, it was very yeah, kind was of really him. Cool. And um, so for anyone listening, I'm not sure if we mentioned this in the interview or not, but uh, Stephen was my psychologist that I saw and I, for anyone listening that could be in a similar or was in a similar state to me, maybe this could be beneficial to you. So Totally. And one thing that we want to do with this podcast is, you know, and intelligent and smart mm. as you and I and our <laughs> guests are about these things, we want to start bringing in professionals. Yeah. So uh, not just because they have credibility, but mainly because they this is their profession. And we basically just want to show all of you guys listening that like it's cool and normal to go talk to these people. We're yeah. just trying to like emphasize that it's that it's cool and the options are there yeah and you. if it's gonna make a, a huge difference and big impact on your life then like why not do it you know mm-hmm. so yeah anyways so here's is, the interview this is how it went enjoy so to kick things off i was just wondering if you could maybe introduce yourself and let us know a little bit about your background okay. and what you do here yeah. uh, my name is steve milstein um i grew up in the u.s I came to Canada in 1966 to take my PhD at the University of Manitoba and I was trained as a research psychologist and did research in the area of sensory deprivation which was topical at the time. Um, I then had an academic career and was a professor at the University of Calgary, the University de Quebec and a research associate at Simon Fraser University. Um, I continued initially to do the same kind of research uh, looking at human performance and had a very large study on the effects of marijuana on people and that was way back in 1972 and as you might expect your performance goes down when you're stoned. I actually quit psychology for a while and ended up um, building racquetball clubs in Canada because it was present in the Canadian Racquetball Association and then ultimately I decided to go into clinical psychology and retrained and moved to Whistler in 1995 and I've been providing clinical psychology services here since. Nice, awesome. And for anyone listening, uh, Steve, you treated me earlier last year. Um, I saw a drastic increase in my mental health and well-being so obviously it was very, very effective. but I do know a lot of people that are in similar situations to me where maybe they're feeling that the kind of the stigma involved in not wanting to come and come see somebody. So something that I found really beneficial was just understanding the different types of help that you, you can get, really. And what we did together was EMDR. Yeah. Do you want to talk a little bit about like well, what that is and how, well, sure. how it's effective? Well, um, uh, just I'm going to go back a second. Yeah. And Uh, Let's talk about different approaches to helping people with mental health. Mm -hmm. Uh, What I would consider the old, and for a while maybe still the dominant approach is a medical model. The medical model goes, oh, you have a disease, you have a disorder, I'm the doctor, I'm going to give you something Mm -hmm. to help you with it. 
So that, that's a psychiatrist rather than a psychologist. Yes, um, and it's what we call the medical model. Um, I treat and I believe in what's called the trauma-informed model. So when people have emotional or psychological difficulty, almost always it's because they've had a trauma. What's a trauma? A severe event, something that happens to you that causes really negative feelings, negative impact. Um, but it's not always one event, right? No, no it be could be a bunch of trauma, yeah. traumas. And, and in fact, we, uh, the, the literature suggests that people who get post-traumatic stress disorder normally do not get it in the first instance they have a trauma. Often they've had a trauma or more before. So it's the cumulative effect yeah. of trauma. Yeah, well, yes, cumulative, but also you could have one trauma and be okay and one more and it's gotcha. Mm -hmm. So a trauma-informed model says emotional and psychological problems come from trauma and that if you heal and treat the trauma, as you know with EMDR, the issues go away. Um, what does trauma do? Trauma does two things. It puts a feeling in your body that doesn't feel good and doesn't go away, and it leads you to develop negative beliefs about yourself. They're not logical, they're not rational, they're 100% believable and we believe them. They form a filter and they filter everything you take in from the outside, and they filter your thoughts, and they filter your emotions. So good therapy allows you to reprocess, is the word we use, those events, and to see them from a wider perspective, and it allows you to resolve the issues, and then the effects of the trauma go away. Mm -hmm. So, and can you address these issues just through talk therapy or the medical model as you earlier well, mentioned? Well, medical or? model usually gives you a medication that dumbs down the symptoms. But doesn't ever actually treat no, them? No, it doesn't. The medications don't change the issue or change how it impacts on you. Mm. Um, sometimes medication is useful if you're not able to get yourself to address the issues medication has value to get you up off the bottom and allow you to address the issues you have to mm. address. Because I think a lot of people that are scared to come in and, and see somebody, they assume that it is just either coming in to get drugs or coming in just to talk about it. But well, that, that's I'm going to go back to your question yeah. about talk therapy. When we talk about talk therapy, we usually talk about cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. So it's been a very dominant form of therapy. And cognitive behavioral therapy has the premise that if the therapist can get you to be aware of the positive counter arguments to the negative that comes up in your mind and teach you how when these negative thoughts come up to keep repeating and talking to yourself and reminding yourself of the positive, then the problem will go away. I don't yeah. believe it does. I think it's you leave a session like that and go, oh my goodness, I feel so good. It's like but going to a motivational speaker. Mm -hmm. You feel good for about a week and then you're back to your lazy You got side. it, and then yeah. if something else happens, you're right back. In the yeah. Soup. Awesome. So yeah, that brings us to um, EMDR. Well, okay. So EMDR, I've been doing EMDR since 1995. Uh, EMDR was developed 30 years ago. 
and it just has been considered evidence-based in the last three years. What that means is there's enough research now that I can say to someone, EMDR is effective at treating PTSD, anxiety, depression. Prior to that, I would have to say to somebody, EMDR is not yet evidence-based, mm-hmm. and there's not evidence that says it will work. I'm doing the same thing now that I did 27 years ago. If it worked, and it works now. Yeah. So, what is it in layman's terms? So, okay. that so EMDR no has a theory. EMDR's theory says that bilateral stimulation, meaning stimulate your left eye, your right eye, your left eye, your right eye, back and forth, back and forth, or use sound, ears, left ear, right ear, left ear, right ear, touch, back and forth on two sides of your body. Bilateral stimulation increases the brain's ability to process information. It engages the two hemispheres more effectively than other therapies do. And there is now evidence that the bilateral stimulation brings change in the brain. Hmm. So what do you do in EMDR? So let's say somebody comes for a car accident. The first thing you do is you identify with them what memory, what image was the worst part of it. And you have them bring it up and you put them back there. You give them cues so it's really alive again. And while there, you ask them to identify what negative belief or beliefs they have about themselves now that fit and go with that memory. So you're, you're tying a thought about yourself to that time, and Correct. then ultimately you're trying to unravel both things. You're going to unravel it, because remember what we said a few minutes ago, what trauma does, it put negative beliefs in your body. Mm-hmm. So we want to know what's a negative belief. The second next thing we ask is what would you rather believe? What's a positive belief? Where are we going? We also identify when you bring up that negative image and negative belief, what's the emotion that it causes in you and where in the body you feel it. Remember, two things. We want to get rid of negative belief and get rid of the body feeling. So now we have a negative belief, a positive belief. We have a memory. We have an emotion. And we have a place in the body where there's a feeling. At that point, we start the bilateral stimulation, either the visual or the auditory or the tactile. And do you find the most common one is the, the light bulb? Well, well we, in fact, the instructions in the procedure require us to start by using the light for everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what happens is you start the bilateral, you ask the person to bring up the memory, bring up the negative belief, pay attention to the feelings, and follow the light. And what will happen, as you know, it brings up a stream of consciousness, images, thoughts, feelings, and memories. Little by little, the emotional feelings in it go down, 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 till at some point you look at me and go, I don't feel this anymore. And I remember it. (laughs) I then stop and ask how disturbing it is. And what happens? Yeah, it's not disturbing anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember we used to rate the the feeling of how disturbed the feeling was each week, so we had something to to mark. Yeah, and then at that point is the next step of installing the positive. We then ask you to bring up the memory of the 
accident because that's what we're working on in this example. Hold it together with the positive belief you wanted to have and once again you follow the light and the positive belief now attaches mm. to that negative thing. The negative's gone, the body feeling's gone. Now you asked about uh, do you start with visual, you almost always start with visual because the feeling is a lot of the processing occurs in the occipital lobes of the brain, which is actually um, what area that controls vision. Hmm. And so what is the science saying in terms of how effective this is against the cognitive therapy? Nobody's compared it. No one's compared it, okay. <laughs> what the science says is EMDR is an effective way to get rid of post-traumatic stress disorder or to get rid of an anxiety disorder or to get rid of depression. So bring it back to more kind of how I was feeling when I came in. You mentioned that there's like, it could be a traumatic event like a car crash or sure. you'd done a documentary with someone who had crashed an airplane. Correct, in but, the blank of an eye. Yeah, but then maybe there's people listening that haven't experienced a traumatic event like that but they're still feeling very anxious or very depressed or maybe they've got some PTSD and they might not think that their thing is worthy of coming in so maybe you can talk more on the small T's. Well let, let's talk about three types of trauma. Big T trauma, car crash, assaults, death, little T traumas. I made up a story, it's not real. I get up this morning, I get to go to work, ups, forgot to set my clock, I'm late. A little trauma, no big deal. I quickly run to get dressed. Oh God, I forgot to turn on the dryer. My clothes are wet. Not a big deal, but guess what? The two of them together. I get dressed, I run out to start my car, I slip on the ice. No big deal. But now after the other two, big deal. I get up, I go to start my car. My car's got a dead battery. I've just been traumatized. Now. If that happens one day, I'm not going to need a psychologist. But if I have little traumas over and over and over and over, they can equate the effect of a big T trauma. So we have big T trauma, little T traumas. The third type of trauma is a little insidious by that. I mean, it's kind of a little hidden, and it's abandonment. Actually, uh, let me go back. Let's call it developmental trauma because there's two types of developmental trauma. One is abandonment, and the second is where as a child you're put in a position of trying to do things that are beyond your brain development. Yeah. So let's go to um, abandonment. What do I mean by abandonment? Parent dies? Just lost a parent. Crushing. Parent leaves the relationship. Doesn't live there anymore. Don't see them regularly. You don't see them. The third is more difficult to deal with. The parents don't leave, but they don't meet your needs. Often I'll have people come in and I take history. Oh, I had a wonderful childhood. We went skiing, we did this, we did that, we did that. And I might ask, so what happens when you were emotionally upset? Who would you go to? Well, there was nobody to go to because nobody got me. That's tough, is it, for a kid? What happens? You start to believe people who won't, who love you, are not going to be there for you. It affects your future. Um, and the last part of that is where, because the family is not functional or is having difficulty, 
a kid is put in a position or allowed to take themselves in the position of trying to do adult things and you don't succeed and you come out of it believing you're not capable and not good enough Mm. so yeah I think this is the kind of thing that I think people listening might think wow like yeah that did happen to me I didn't realize that they could come in and sort something out well it's a big deal for people Uh, you know in relationship for example as an adult where you've had abandonment number one you're very hungry to connect with somebody and then you connect and the minute you really get the love back without realizing the brain is going I know what happens with people who love you I'm going to turn around one day, they're not going to be there for me, and your brain's going, I don't want to feel that. And the next thing you know, you're wondering, why did I lose interest in my partner? Why all of a sudden have I just pulled back? Mm. Yeah. And so what would you say to someone that might be on the, you know, just on the edge of maybe coming in, but they're not too sure, they're a bit worried, like how, how could you convince them to... Well, I don't think you want to convince a person. I think what happens is you want them to go see somebody and decide, are they comfortable with that person? Are they comfortable with the type of therapy that is going to be offered? When somebody comes to see me, um, I start by, why are you here? What do you need help with? and I take a history and then I attempt from the history to explain how this could have affected you. Good therapy always proceeds with a hypothesis. Hey, I think you're feeling and having this difficulty because why do we need a hypothesis? Because focus therapy dealing with the traumas is really what helps people get healthy. Um, so you got to focus back that. And a history often explains to a qualified therapist where the problems are. Next, I explain how we're going to do the work and what you can do to, to heal this. Um, and finally, I always end up wanting to know if the client felt safe here talking about it. Mm. Because if you don't feel safe with the person you're talking mm-hmm. to, it's the wrong therapist find somebody else because if you don't feel safe you can't do your work yeah that's a good point there's so many therapists out there and so many yeah. different styles that you know yeah. maybe yeah. anyone can figure out what's best for them yeah for sure. I mean I I see people who come and they've seen this therapist this therapist that person it didn't work and it works here I'm sure it works the other way mm-hmm. I'm sure there's people who see me and who I am and what my style is and how I work is not for them So they go see somebody else and it works. And I would say if you see somebody and they're not right for you, don't give up. Mm. Look around and find out. Talk to people who've seen therapists and find out what they got. And don't be afraid to ask somebody how do they work and for what reason do they feel this is going to help you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So something that we're kind of focused on on this podcast is uh, men's mental health. And I just did a quick Google before I got here. So the stats might not be bang on, but... 25% 25% of females seek help for mental health issues and only 13% of men seek yeah, help. I could believe that, but you know what? I see as many men here as I see women. I, I yeah, I just don't, uh, I don't know that I've seen a tremendous difference. I think men are becoming more aware mm-hmm. uh, that if they have issues, go see somebody who can help you. Well, do you think maybe that's related to kind of where we are here in Whistler and the the type of therapy that you're doing? Uh, maybe gosh. is 
I don't know. Yeah. Well, me, me personally, when I came in for the first time, I did my. I thought it was just we're going to sit here and talk about my feelings, and I was feeling quite uncomfortable about yep. that. But as soon as you know, we got the light out, and you showed me that there was like an actual scientific method. You said it's going to take seven to eight sessions, and then it did. Like, I think that is really beneficial. So maybe that maybe that's why the men are hanging around or coming to see you more often? Well, I think therapy has changed. When I started, EMDR was not evidence-based, and when I came to Whistler, I was the only person for years that did EMDR. There's a lot of EMDR therapists around here now. It's yeah. becoming an in-therapy a little ways, and it's becoming quite popular. It works. Um, I think, if I look at myself, why did I become an experimental psychologist and not a clinician when I got started? Well, when I kind of look at the therapies that were available, then I wasn't impressed. So, sorry, what does that mean, an experimental psychologist rather than... Uh, oh, an experimental psychologist is somebody who does research, who, for example, experimental psychologists look at, have looked at EMDR and set up designs where you could compare the therapy group to a placebo or a non-treated group and at the end of the research make a probability statement as to how effective the therapy, whether the therapy was effective or not, mm. is what you can make a statement about. And that, that's what it takes with most therapy until the research is done that shows that for a particular type of problems, this works, it's not evidence-based, and Pretty much the system often doesn't pay for evidence-based, non-evidence-based mm -hmm. yeah. therapy. And is there a benefit to getting in early, like being younger and experiencing anxiety or depression for the first time? Is it better to get in soon rather than Well, let, let, let's start with anxiety is normal. I remember anxiety is the emotion that says I perceive a threat. It's always about the future, not about the present. And if there really is severe anxiety as a child um, and, in, and the anxiety is not about stuff that is a real threat, then you're better treating it early rather than waiting and leaving it. Is there an age that's like, uh, say if like you have a son or a daughter and they're like, you think they might be experiencing like high anxiety, Would is there an age that is too young to come? Well, I wouldn't bring anybody that's pre-verbal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if they're verbal, um, you know, I don't treat kids normally. I don't see kids who are younger normally than five or six. Mm -hmm. And I don't see a lot of them that young. Most of the kids that I see probably started around an age of eight, nine, and ten, although I have seen some younger ones. Mm -hmm. But look, if you have a child that's having anxiety or depression and it's not going away, go see somebody don't leave it out there. Don't leave it hang. Because it's just going to compound. Okay, so um, dissociation. What does that mean? And So dissociation I call the Cadillac of coping skills. This is, I'm a pro in this one, I remember. <laughs> I bet you don't do it anymore, though. I hope so, yeah. I hope not. Well, you don't need to do it. Yeah. Okay, so everybody's body makes opiates, just like you find in heroin. Now, when we're functioning well, those opiates stimulate our immune system and regulate our neurotransmitters. But when you're traumatized, when something's so fearful, when you can't tolerate the body feelings, that opiate system goes into high drive and floods your brain with your own opiates, and you numb out. 
and you escape the bad feeling. Does that mean that someone who's traumatized is always dissociated? Some people are, but more likely somebody who then gets triggered because a reminder of the trauma, a symbol of the trauma comes up. And, oh God, they get that terrible feeling. And without knowing it, there goes the brain and numbs them out. Mm. So if someone at home that is like, oh, do I dissociate? It was daydreaming a lot? No. No? So what were the... Well, numbing out. Numbing out. There's actually 21 symptoms, different symptoms of dissociation. There's a scale uh, that rates the 21 you may remember, I asked three questions because they're very telltale. One, um, how often have you been places, done something, and somebody asked you about it and you have no memory doing it? Or how often do you misplace things? One. Two, do you ever get tingling or numbness in different parts of your body that comes and goes? And third, do you have the feeling ever of being somewhere you're standing way back and watching what's going on, including yourself. Or feel you're up in the air, looking down, watching it. Um, those are examples of dissociative response. And what it does, it numbs you out, protects you from the nasty feeling. And then would someone who already suffers from that then go on to find more things to numb, like no, no drug no, use? No, it or? isn't even, no, well, uh, we all, yes, let's go back. <laughs> Like escapism. To uh, well, you know what? We often try to numb ourselves out from the bad feelings with alcohol and drugs, yes. Fair enough. But it's not to do with dissociation? No, it's not. Well, it isn't. You dissociate is not a result of taking alcohol and drugs. It's a result of your own opiate system hmm. trying to protect you from this bad feeling. Got it. Thanks. Well, thank you so much for your time. I think we've got the majority of what we want to talk about. Is there anything else that you, you want to yeah, throw in? Yeah, I'm good. Awesome. Yeah, cool. Well, thank you so much. Appreciate My it. My pleasure. Yeah. yeah, it was a pleasure meeting you as yeah, well. Nice thank you for you. hanging out with us on your day off. <laughs> <laughs> so we just listened to the interview, and so did you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was good. Good to hear it back again. Uh, mm -hmm. I think, yeah, I really enjoyed... I think I, I just can't help putting myself back in the situation of like kind of when I first walked in and, and saw him. But, yeah, I was really worried that it was just going to be, yeah, coming in to talk about my feelings. And I wasn't really sure if I could do that. I was mm. like... I, a part of me was like, maybe this is just a one-time thing, you know? Maybe yeah. I'll just see him one time, that'll be it. But I think it really did help that he had like this plan, like this, you know, seven to eight sessions mm. and like it's this science thing that's backed and like there's a structure to it. And and that structure seemed to really work for you in yeah, a positive way. Yeah, hugely worked on me. And mm. uh, I think it kept me in there for the for the more sessions too. Like if he had totally. just said, oh, okay, each week we're just going to sit here and you're going to tell me how you're feeling. the flow. Yeah. yeah, maybe I would never have come back. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, we, we were just saying, I mean, anyway, he was, he's very clear and he's so educated and he, he seemed like well confident obviously because he's been in this field basically his whole adult uh mm. life but yeah i really i really like how he he was like open to like because he is specifically mostly does emdr therapy which like you guys heard in the interview it's 
there's different ways to do it, and I'm try- I'm trying to like not butcher the yeah. description of it. Bilateral stimulation, mm-hmm. and yeah. that could be like basically of the brain. So it could be your eyes or your ears or maybe touch, and then that. Yeah. I guess so. He uses that, and then I, I guess like it works both sides of the brain, and then he like works back with you, like works through whatever the trauma. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I really enjoyed how he broke down trauma as well. The three T's. The three T's, yeah. which big traumas, which are the catastrophic, yep. scary things that can happen in your life. They make sense because mm-hmm. the big T's, they're the ones that you think if, if a big T did happen to you, you'd be like, yeah, for sure I'm going to go see someone because I know 100%. exactly what we're going to talk about. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. It's the other ones that are harder to go in. So. Totally. And especially ones that, because it's really easy to, like, at least f- for me personally, it's really easy for, like, if something bad happens... And then it's easy to like push it down and then just to keep pushing it down. Mm. And eventually if you keep throwing those things like in, in the closet, they build up and they compound. And like he was explaining that they can, they, you can end up in a situation that may not be like the best, like for you, like mentally or physically. So it's, yeah, it's important to. Yeah. And yeah. after like being in there with him and interviewing him, did you feel at all like, cause you mentioned like last year you were having some mental health issues. Mm. So like do with your leg. So did you ever think about going in and like maybe trying any of this out or? Totally. He, I'm not sure if this was, uh, I don't think this was on the interview because we, we had to cut some of it out because, uh, uh, cause some of the, like the noise and the faffing, yeah. which we're working on everyone. Thank you for being patient. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one thing that he mentioned that I thought was really cool. Um, he said that not a certain, like a certain type of therapy isn't necessarily like for every single person like because every mm. like we are all different we're there's no cookie cutter human we all like react to things in different ways and what might be totally fine for one person can really like hurt maybe maybe you and then it's not like your fault it's, it's out of your control but it's just something that we have to adapt and live by so i like that i've actually never tried emdr therapy i've talked to some like regular like psychologists in the past, yeah. like really traditional, which I think was super helpful for me. Yeah. But I think we're constantly changing as we grow as humans and like in general as well. So it's good to try different things because like the same thing might not work forever. We're all also, different. We're all different. Yeah, we're all figuring it out. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, lo- I love that he, he did mention that. He's like, you should go explore. And if you come to me and it doesn't work, then that's okay. You go... And, and he said that people have come to him that have tried other forms of therapy and it's what he does works for them. And he, he's, he's sure it's happened vice versa. Yeah. And I thought that, I don't know. I There's that. a documentary on this guy. He, um, like one of his patients was flying a helicopter. I'm not sure if he mentioned it in the interview or not. I can't remember, but mm-hmm. his, uh, one of his patients was flying a helicopter and the helicopter crashed. And then, yeah, he pretty much was unable to fly. Then he went in, did some EMDR for a few months, and he can fly again. So it really does work. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He he also mentioned uh, that for a long time there wasn't evidence based proof that EMDR worked, but now because it's he's been doing it for so long, and the industry, I guess the EMDR EMDR has been practiced for so long, there is like sufficient sufficient evidence that shows that it works. It's not just like some weird light therapy you know man come but in and look at the light i also like that he'd been doing it for 27 years yeah. but it's only scientifically proven for the last like five or so yeah so that just shows that he figured out very quickly that it was working and he and he kind of stuck to his guns and kept Which doing it yeah. is like super admirable because so many yeah. people will be like super discouraged by that mm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so that yeah, was really cool him. yeah 
yeah, he broke down the medical model as well as like the, I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Because it's super easy to go to your doctor who may be like an amazing person and wants to help you, but they're not like specifically maybe trained to like take you back through the trauma and work, like work you through it. So then, and yeah, they might prescribe you something cause that's what they were taught. And I'm sure they're like in their, like they're doing what's best and like what they can do, Yeah. but that doesn't work for everyone. To the best of their mm-hmm. abilities yeah. for sure. Yeah. But he, I think he mentioned all the way he worded it was like, it's just treating the symptom. It's not actually treating <clears throat> the underlying problem. So yeah. Yeah. Cause yeah, you can numb the, you can numb that feeling probably forever. And it you, eventually like any other, like, drug or alcohol you need more and more probably and yeah that's i mean yeah other scary things can happen but not saying that's where every if you ever get medication you're not gonna end up in a bad place yeah. because of it but he also mentioned he he worked a lot with addiction but we didn't really go into that too much so no we didn't we could always bring him back and, and dive uh, into that that would be interesting I yeah, yeah 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 he uh, yeah especially yeah like now that we kind of maybe broken the ice yeah with him yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. um yeah. but yeah yeah i thought i thought that was really yeah, I thought, I thought that was really cool. I, I, I took a lot from his conversation, for sure. Sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah. I remember he was talking about decompression a little bit as well, which was cool. Yeah. That also wasn't on the interview that we cut, but I remember that, or disassociation, sorry, decompression. <laughs> uh, so I thought that was cool, because it's really easy to like disassociate. I, I feel like I probably do that. Yeah, I think that's one, when I heard him explain it, I was like, oh, I think a like, lot of a lot of people do this so yeah. I don't want to butcher the explanation but it's pretty much I think you learn it when you're a kid you get mm-hmm. put in a situation where you can't mentally deal with the situation like there's some kind of traumatic event happening so your brain naturally floods your body with he said it's the same chemical as heroin or like something like that I don't mm-hmm. know I don't want to butcher I don't know. I'm not scientific we're, I don't know yeah we're but, not this isn't don't yeah yeah but, but pretty much your body does something to mm-hmm. just numb you out and you no longer are feeling the pain of the situation like the mental pain of the situation and then mm-hmm. as you turn into an adult you continue to do this as a defense mechanism or a totally. coping mechanism yeah so. yeah and I, I'm we we only had a short interview with him we didn't have a lot of time but I can only imagine that there are so many different ways to like disassociate. I feel yeah. like social media and your phones could be one. Because like I know for me sometimes like I'm super busy and I have eight things to do, but I find myself like on TikTok All just scrolling, day, baby. <laughs> and and it's like been an hour, and I'm like I have a hundred things I need to do right now, and they, I can do them, and it's probably gonna be fine if I do them, and if I like am honest with people and tell them that I'm busy right now. Sorry, it's gonna take an extra like day or something to some scrolling figure this out. But yeah, but I. <laughs> I just scroll and I'm like, oh, so I'm totally guilty of that. If yeah. you are as well, don't oh, feel yeah. bad. I delete oh. Instagram off my phone like every week. <laughs> yeah, it's a constant cycle. Yeah, seriously. I just I'm like, I'm done, someone. I'm free. And then Monday rolls around, I'm like, yeah, I need, oh. it. I need it back on my phone. <laughs> it's it's almost like tragic how like positive they can be as well. Like yeah. they can, especially for like business, especially for what you're doing, it, it can like really help like you, I don't know your outreach yeah I'm terrible at social media mm-hmm. I probably post like I don't know every few months and mm-hmm. that's not enough I think if you you really want to drive something you need to be posting all the time yeah probably yeah, every you need day. to be stories and... yeah we'll get a tiktoker and they, they yeah, yeah. he or she can talk about that yeah but yeah but something like talking to uh, yeah people should get out there and 
talk to people mm-hmm. and sort their stuff out because it's yeah. a crazy world and there's a lot of road rage out there and there probably doesn't need to be. <laughs> yeah, right? You know, there's a lot of angry... Yeah, there's other ways mm-hmm. to get it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's cool because I feel like nowadays, like, the idea of going to therapy and, like, talking about your mental health is becoming more normal. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's something I think we have to constantly work on. Uh, people know that we have to stay in shape to have good heart health and overall health, but there's still a bunch of people that aren't in, like, the, the best shape. Mm-hmm. possible i'm not body shaming anyone but i don't know you, you know what i mean you know what i'm getting yeah. at there's mindfulness to work mm-hmm. on your mental health yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And there's so many different practices you can mm-hmm. do and one thing that one person does might not work for someone else uh but you can find what works for you yeah just yeah. like yeah any diet are you still keeping up with headspace um i've been uh, a little bit i've been bad I, I started running so the nike run app and headspace have like this thing together so I went on a run and I listened to like a, it's like running, doing these crazy exercises. It's almost like meditation for me. Mm. And I can like, do you not, count, count your steps? Is that one of the things? Not really, but yeah. I get into like a rhythmic Like when I breathe, I try to like really get like a rhythm cool. and then I can find myself just like really like thinking about, I don't know. I feel like I can come to terms with my own thoughts because you, you can get in your own head. It's really easy to. Yeah. 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 Do you, yeah. how about yourself? Since you've, do you use any of the practices that yeah i I got on headspace like years Mm -hmm. ago like in my early 20s and i when i first got it i was obsessed i was doing Mm -hmm. it like every day a few times a day and just yeah yeah yeah, saw a huge i don't know like it's almost like a muscle like you work it out like like so often i find myself just going through my regular day but my brain is elsewhere it's Mm -hmm. not in the present moment it's not focusing on what i'm doing it's thinking about what's going to happen or what's already happened or just Mm -hmm. You know, it's like one of those monkeys holding a symbol. Ding, 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 ding. <laughs> it's like my brain most of the time. But when I was really on it with Headspace, it just felt like that muscle that just brings you back to the present moment. Mm. goes, oh, no, you're thinking about things you don't need to. Bring it back. Yeah. Like that yeah. muscle was being worked out so often mm. that just when I wasn't meditating, regular life got easier because I could just remember to bring my attention back mm. to whatever it is I'm doing and just really focus on that task and just get it done. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, I think that's important because yeah. it's so important to like work out like, like your mind and like whatever muscle that may be like in a positive way, because if you like positively like reinforce that feeling that you get from say headspace or from like meditation, uh, that it'll only get like easier and you'll just get more from it and it'll become, it'll become easier too, which is like so important because mm. it's really easy so when you think about like positive and negative thoughts, if you like always think negatively all the time, you like build a habit to think negatively. Yeah. So you got to try to like not force yourself, but work with yourself yeah. to. Mm. Years and years ago, I read this book called um, Buddha's Brain or something, ah, and it talked about what you were just talking about mm-hmm. with like thought patterns, and mm-hmm. it, it was something to do with like one negative thought. The, the the way your brain wires that is like 10 times more powerful than a positive thought just because mm-hmm. negative thoughts if that's like predators yeah. or things in the past that might get you they're more important to really focus on to survive but nowadays yeah, totally. like it's kind of irrelevant because there's no predators coming to get us yeah not really so we eh? need to put more <laughs> effort onto the positive thoughts to mm-hmm. like properly re- rewire your brain because it's like, just so easy to we're think we're just like so comfortable now yeah, yeah, yeah it's yeah. easy to think negatively totally right? yeah yeah yeah. Well, we'll on the podcast. We're gonna have some more goofy episodes, some more funny stories, but we're also gonna speak to more professionals yeah. in the in the near future as well. 
We potentially might have a sex therapist coming up. <laughs> yeah, well, a sex therapist, which is important because, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, sex health is important. Sex health is important. Yeah. It can affect your mental health, and maybe we'll have some stories about that <laughs> yeah. on that on that podcast. But stay tuned. Yeah, stay tuned. Thanks for listening, you guys. <laughs>